I love seeing bats here at Dispatches HQ. Watching them flutter and twist around, snatching up insects as they go, never ceases to fascinate me. And considering their association with haunted houses and Halloween, October seems like a good time to talk about bats. Bats are one of those animals that people seem to fear more on the basis of superstition than actual facts. And maybe it's because they're associated with vampires. Maybe, like I've said previously, it's because they come out at night and we tend to fear the things that move around in the dark. And maybe it's because of the many myths that surround bats. Myths that I hope to dispel in the course of this episode. Whatever the reason, I'm here to tell you that bats are amazing creatures, and fear of bats is largely misplaced. They're perfectly adapted to working the night shift, and they perform some incredibly valuable ecological functions, like helping to control mosquito populations, which alone makes them more than welcome in my backyard. So let's peer into the darkness and shine our species spotlight on the mammals of the order Chiroptera, which incidentally translates to hand wing the bats. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is Dispatches from the Forest. Bats have been around for millions of years. The oldest known bat fossils come from the Messel oil shale pits of Germany and date back over 55 million years, but bats are thought to have evolved at least 10 million years before that. Bats, much like birds, have very delicate bones and they don't fossilize well, so it's estimated that only about 12% of all bat species that have existed have been discovered in the fossil record. Also like birds, the ability to fly has let them colonize pretty much every corner of the planet with the exception of the Arctic and Antarctic. With over 1,400 different species worldwide, bats are the second most common order of mammals, rodents are number one, and comprise about 20% of all mammal species. The order Chiroptera is traditionally divided into two groups, megabats, or megachiroptera, which are primarily fruit or nectar-eating bats, and microbats, or, you guessed it, microchiroptera, which hunt using echolocation. Here in the United States, we have about 45 bat species, primarily, but not exclusively, microbats. Now, with 1,400 species, bats come in a wide range of sizes. The largest species of bat in the world is the flying fox. Well, there's actually several subspecies of flying fox, but the largest weigh around three pounds and have a wingspan of about five and a half feet. Now, these megabats are all frugivores, or fruit-eating, and live in the tropics of the Philippines and East Asia. On the other end of the spectrum is the world's smallest bat, the bumblebee bat, also known as the kitty's hognose bat. At just 1.3 inches long and weighing only 2 grams, which is the same as a couple of paper clips, it is also the world's smallest mammal based on skull size. These bats definitely put the micro in microchiroptera. Bumblebee bats live in limestone caves near rivers in western Thailand and Myanmar and weren't even identified until the early 1970s. The bumblebee bats are also unique in that this one species represents an entire family of bats, which split from the rest about 33 million years ago. 
Although scientists are monitoring them closely because they believe that the two populations, one in Thailand and one in Myanmar, which are geographically separated by topography, may be undergoing speciation, evolving into two distinct subspecies. Bats are generally pretty long-lived. They can live up to 30 years in the wild, which is about three and a half times longer than other similarly sized mammals. Now, there's several factors that contribute to their longevity. First, many bats hibernate or at least go into torpor during the winter. This decrease in metabolic activity probably plays a role. In addition, bats experience a lower rate of predation than other mammals their size as a result of being able to fly, roosting by hanging upside down, and being nocturnal. Roosting in caves also helps protect them from predators. Cave-dwelling species tend to live longer than non-cave-dwelling species. And roosting in large numbers also means that each individual in the colony has a lower chance of falling victim to a predator. While some bats are solitary, some gather in colonies that can number in the millions. Many bats are solitary during the warmer months, but swarm together at hibernation sites in the fall. The largest bat colony in the world is located right here in the United States. Bracken Cave, just south of San Antonio, Texas, is home to about 20 million Mexican free-tail bats. Bats are mammals, just like us. They have fur, they give birth to live young, and they nurse those young. And bats are the only mammal capable of true flight. Other so-called flying mammals, like, say, sugar gliders or flying squirrels, don't technically fly. They glide like a paper airplane. And not only are bats capable of flight, they're incredibly agile in flight, not to mention fast. Most bats can reach speeds up to 60 miles an hour. And some, like the Mexican free-tailed bat, can reach speeds close to 100 miles an hour. While the physics of flight in bats and birds is the same, lift, drag, etc., there are some distinct differences in the mechanics of the two. A bird wing is rigid, and the main flying muscles move the bones of the wing at the point where it connects to the body, much like the human arm from the shoulder blade to the fingertips. The advantage to this type of rigid structure is that it provides much greater lift. Now, as I mentioned, the Latin name of bats, Chiroptera, translates to hand wing, and for very good reason. Unlike the bird's rigid structure, a bat's wing is basically a modified hand. Which brings us to our first trivia word of the week, patagium. Patagium is defined as a membrane or fold of skin between the forelimbs and hindlimbs on each side of a bat or gliding mammal. In bats, the patagium stretches between the body and each of the fingers in the hand. What this does is it allows the bat to twist and morph their wings while in flight. It provides less lift than a bird wing, but a much greater degree of maneuverability. The erratic way that bats fly is the inspiration for the phrase bats in the belfry or batty to describe someone with erratic behavior. Now, hanging upside down is one of those traits of bats that we kind of take for granted. It's just something that all bats do. Although, on a side note, in nature there are usually exceptions to every rule. There are about six species of bat that don't hang upside down, and there's also species that aren't nocturnal. Now, when they're not out hunting, bats spend the majority of their time in this position. They roost, they eat, they sleep, they mate, and raise their young, all while hanging upside down. When hanging, they wrap their wings around their body to retain body heat. 
There are advantages to an upside-down life, including being safer from predators and making it easier to take flight. Remember that a bat wing doesn't provide as much lift as a bird, so it's a lot easier to take flight if all you have to do is let go. Bats don't really take off, it's more like they just fall and then miss the ground. Now, if you've ever tried to hang upside down for any period of time, you know that it gets uncomfortable pretty quickly. The blood rushes to your head, and it starts to feel like your head is going to explode. But unlike us, bats have evolved some adaptations that allow them to live an upside-down life without having a constant pounding headache. The first is a one-way valve in their arteries. This prevents the blood from rushing to their head like it does to you or me when we hang upside down. The second adaptation is in their claw, and it allows the tendon to lock in place when they hang without using muscles and without exerting any energy. If you were to clench your fist around an object, you have to contract several muscles in your arm, which are connected to your fingertips by tendons. As the muscles contract, it pulls the tendons, which pulls your fingers closed. If you've ever tried to hang from a bar, you know that your hands tire relatively quickly and you eventually lose your grip. A bat's talons close in the same way, except that their tendons are connected only to their upper body, not to a muscle. To hang upside down, a bat flies into position, uses muscles to open its claw, and finds a surface to grip to. To get the talons to grab hold of the surface, the bat simply lets its body relax. The weight of the upper body pulls down on the tendon connected to the talons, causing them to clench. The talon joints lock into position, and the bat's body weight keeps them closed. The bat only has to use muscles to open the claw and release the grip. In fact, a bat that dies while roosting will remain hanging in place unless it's jostled loose. So what do bats eat? As I mentioned before, the megabats generally eat fruit or nectar. Like other nectar eaters, such as hummingbirds or butterflies, nectar-eating bats have evolved to have long muzzles and tongues. There's about 500 species of flower that have co-evolved to depend on bats for pollination. These flowers open at night when the bats are active. Fruit-eating bats harvest ripe fruit with their teeth and then roost to feed. They suck the juice from the fruit and spit out the seeds and pulp. Again, many of these plants depend on the bats that feed on them in order to spread their seeds and regenerate. Fruit-eating bats need to consume about twice their body weight every day. Most microbats, on the other hand, are insectivores, and they're darn good at it. A single bat can consume upwards of 600 insects per hour. Now, multiply that by the four bats I see flying around my house regularly, and that's potentially 2,400 fewer mosquitoes to bother me every hour. Insectivorous microbats locate insects using echolocation and catch them mid-air with their mouths. Some bats will actually eat larger vertebrates like fish or frogs. To catch frogs, these bats use their excellent hearing to track the frog's mating calls. Then they catch the amphibian with their teeth. Bats that catch fish can use echolocation to detect ripples on the surface of the water and will then swoop down to catch the fish with their feet. And yes, there are bats that drink blood. Three species to be exact. Which brings us to our second trivia word of the week, hematophagy. Hematophagy is the practice of some animals of feeding on blood. Vampire bats are the only mammals to have evolved hematophagy. These small bats live in Central and South America. 
Vampire bats have strong social bonds, often grooming each other and sharing food by regurgitation with individuals who were unsuccessful at finding food that night. They have also been shown to be extremely intelligent, able to not only solve an obstacle maze, but to remember the solution at least six months later. Although there's not a population of vampire bats currently in the United States, that could change in the fairly near future. Climate change and warmer winters may allow the common vampire bat to expand its range from northern Mexico up into the southwestern states like Texas and Arizona. These bats tend to live where the temperature doesn't fall below 50 degrees. In recent years, vampire bats have been documented only 30 miles south of the Texas border, and fossils indicate that vampire bats used to live in the south and southwestern states when the planet was warmer between 5,000 and 30,000 years ago. But should we be afraid of vampire bats? Well, while they do occasionally bite people, the common vampire bat feeds primarily on large mammals like cattle, horses, or pigs, and the other two species of vampire bat prefer birds. They only take a small amount of blood, about a tablespoon, and there is a risk of infection and disease transmission. Their saliva contains an anticoagulant that keeps the blood flowing during the approximately 30 minutes they take to feed, and they lick the blood like a kitten. They don't suck it out like you see in the movies. The anticoagulant they produce is actually being used in medical research to develop drugs to help stroke victims. Now, you've probably heard the saying, blind as a bat, but bats are not, in fact, blind. This is one of those things that people assume because they're generally nocturnal, have excellent hearing, and many species hunt using echolocation. There are actually over a thousand animal species worldwide that use some form of echolocation, including toothed whales and many small nocturnal or burrowing mammals. What all these animals have in common is that they hunt in environments with little or no light. And they use a variety of methods, too, from vibrating their throats to flapping their wings. Bats, however, are kind of the poster child for echolocation. To echolocate, the bat sends out its sound waves from its mouth or nose. Most bats emit a sound above the range of human hearing. Different species of bat emit different sounds, and the sound may vary depending on the environment and the prey. Because their prey is constantly moving, the bat emits a continuous series of clicks, increasing in rate as they get closer to their prey. When approaching prey, they can emit up to 190 clicks per second, and using echolocation, a bat can zero in on something as thin as a human hair. Speaking of human hair... A common myth is that bats will fly into and get caught in people's hair. This myth probably has its origins in the fact that bats hang upside down and drop down to take flight, making it appear to people that disturb them as if the bat is swooping towards their head. Since bats also frequently roost in large groups in tight spaces, disturbing a large colony of bats probably intensifies that feeling. While they may go after insects that are near your head, they are perfectly capable of avoiding you and don't want to be in your hair any more than you would want them there. So if they're not going to suck out all our blood and turn us into vampires and they're not going to get caught in your hair, what dangers do bats pose to humans? Bats do have a high tolerance for many diseases that can be transmitted to humans. Rabies is usually the first one that comes to mind. That said, the fear of rabies transmission from bats is a bit overblown. 
I was watching a show the other day called Northwoods Law, and the wildlife officer on the show made the statement that, quote, most bats carry rabies, unquote. And this is absolutely not true. Only about 5 to 6% of bats that are tested carry the rabies virus. And even that number is probably higher than what it would be in the general population since they're not testing a random sample of bats. Many of the bats that are tested were captured because they were obviously unwell. They were found on the ground or they were found during the day. While incidental bites can happen, the best way to avoid being bitten by a bat is not to handle a bat which is generally a pretty easy thing to avoid doing. Aside from rabies, bats can be reservoirs for other diseases, including, yes, a variety of coronaviruses. However, contrary to what many people believe, the current COVID-19 pandemic is not the result of somebody eating an infected bat. Any coronavirus needs to evolve quite a bit and probably within some other intermediate species, before it's possible to infect humans. It can't just jump straight from bats to people. In some areas, bat droppings, and bird droppings too, can be a vector for histoplasmosis, a fungus whose spores can cause flu-like symptoms if inhaled. Again, the easiest way to reduce the risk of disease transmission is to leave the bats alone. The risk of transmission of any illness is increased when people encroach on the bat's habitat or harvest them for food. If you have a bat or colony of bats in your house, you should have them removed by a qualified bat removal professional. These specialists should be able to safely clean up any droppings, seal up access points, and install bat exclusion devices to prevent them from re-entering your home. And if you have bats in your belfry, well, that's a different problem for a different professional. While there are some health risks associated with bats, there are many more benefits that bats provide. As I mentioned earlier, bats can eat up to 600 insects per hour, including mosquitoes, which can also transmit a variety of diseases, and a variety of insects that are considered agricultural pests. By helping control these insects, bats significantly reduce the amount of pesticides needed in agriculture. The economic value of bats in terms of insect control in the United States alone has been estimated at around $23 billion. From an ecological standpoint, bats provide a lot of services that are harder to put a dollar amount on. Like I also said earlier, many plants depend on bats for pollination and seed dispersal. In addition, there are many unique creatures found only in caves that depend on bats bringing in nutrients from the outside. And by bringing in nutrients, I'm of course referring to bat guano. Fun fact, bat guano is a better fertilizer than cow manure. And before they found oil in Texas, bat guano was the Lone Star State's biggest export. Unfortunately, Bats face a lot of challenges in our ever-changing world, and many bats are endangered species. Like many mammals, habitat loss, primarily due to development, is always a concern, and climate change is at the forefront of the threats they face also. Heat waves and droughts can cause death from overheating or lack of prey. Wildfires driven by increasingly hot, dry conditions in some areas can also damage habitat. In other areas, intense storms can flood the caves where bats roost, and unusually early or late season snows or intense cold can trap bats in their roosting sites. 
Think about just last year when we saw record cold temperatures in parts of the American Southwest. Climate change will continue to make events like this more frequent, posing a risk to many animals, including bats. Another unfortunate risk to some bats, particularly the hoary bat, are wind turbines. Hoary bats account for 40% of all bats killed by wind turbines. It's unknown exactly why this is the case. It may be that the bats mistake the shiny surface for water, or maybe they think they're trees and attempt to use them to rest, or it may be that they simply run into them in the darkness. Bats use echolocation for hunting, but not when migrating between known locations. Fortunately, there are some solutions to this problem that can help reduce bat mortality while still encouraging clean energy. Acoustic deterrence and having the blades start turning at a slightly higher wind speed have both been proven to reduce bat mortality by up to 60%. But the biggest threat to most of our bat species is called white nose syndrome. White nose syndrome is a fungal disease that infects many cave roosting microbats. The fungus covers their nose and mouth and causes them to wake up from hibernation. Infected bats frequently starve or freeze to death because there is nothing for them to eat. White-nose syndrome has killed millions of bats in the United States, in some areas up to 99% of populations. Sadly, there's currently no cure for white-nose syndrome. There are some things you can do to help bats. First and foremost, did I mention leaving them alone? Stay out of caves or mines where bats are hibernating. Around your home, you can reduce disturbance to natural bat habitats. For example, reducing outdoor lighting, which incidentally helps protect migrating songbirds, minimizing tree clearing, and protecting streams and wetlands. In addition, you might consider putting up a bat house to give bats a place to roost, and they can repay you by controlling those pesky mosquitoes. The best bat houses mimic the types of crevices found under the peeling bark of a dead or dying tree and similar places where bats like to roost. The best location for a bat house is on the side of a building or a pole at least 20 feet off the ground and 20 to 30 feet from other trees or structures, preferably facing southeast. These locations are typically the most successful because bats can find them more easily and the morning sun warms the roost. Locating bat houses near streams or rivers will also attract bats more quickly. Plans and pre-built bat houses are easily found online and may even be found at your local garden center. Well, wild wanderers, that wraps up this episode of Dispatches from the Forest. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done it yet, be sure to leave a like and subscribe so you'll know when new episodes come out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to support future episodes, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. If you have a message for me, send an email to dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. This podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.